I know you're friends with a lot of these guys and I don't want them to get mad at you. Oh no. <laughs> but <laughs> who do you think the greatest poker player of all time is? Oh, well, this is funny because no matter what I say, every poker player that's on that short list is gonna think they're the best anyway. Um, but I would have to say Daniel Negreanu is up there for me. I thought I always had a really good sense of judging people's character, but also a really strong intuition. Um, so uh, my friends call me um, the cheater whisperer because I've caught a few of my, my girlfriends, um, significant others cheating on them. Mm. And I feel like it's like, because when someone sits down in front of me and they're talking to me, I feel like I know when they're lying. Welcome back to the Digital Social Hour, guys. I'm your host, Sean Kelly. I'm here with an amazing guest today, Maria Ho. Hey. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So how have you been doing in the World Series this year? Man, it's been, wow, it's like, what, four weeks in and I'm tired. It's mm -hmm. that time when you get burnt out. I'm playing every single day. Tournaments start at 10. We play until 1 in the morning. You wake up next morning, do it all over again. And mm. it's definitely Groundhog's Day, but... This is what we're here for, right? If you're a professional poker player, then this is the time where you need to be putting the pedal to the metal. You need to be playing every day because the most money can be won or lost, I guess, during this time. Yeah. Speaking of most money won, what's the most money you've won in a single day? So my biggest tournament score was uh, over half a million. And mm. then the most I've ever lost um, was less than that, which is good, right? Good. You never really want to break even on those numbers. It was... Uh, like a quarter million in a cash game. Um, but uh, it was just one of those spots where there was a lot of bad players in the game and you got to take your shot and sometimes it doesn't work out. Mm. Yeah, I heard the pros sometimes struggle against amateurs, right? <laughs> yeah, because I think the thing is, is amateurs are really unpredictable, right? Mm -hmm. At least against a pro, you kind of know what their baseline strategy is. Mm -hmm. And for amateurs, they don't really have a strategy. Mm. So I think that's the element of poker that is really interesting because it's real-time solutions. You know, you're you're gonna be theorizing and adapting and adjusting to how your opponent is playing, but you have no idea what their poker knowledge is, what right. their background is. You know, kind of like when I played against you. Yeah. I had no idea that was your first time. And I think that's that's the beauty of the game is, mm -hmm. you know, I have to figure you out. And in, in some ways you have an edge on me because you know that I'm a pro and you know that there's gonna be certain things that I will be willing to do you know, and that I won't. And yeah. so you can definitely target me as well. That's true. You were right next to me. So you were going after me. And I, <laughs> I was trying to tell if you were bluffing me or just Only you had it. I mean, I feel like naturally, if I think someone is less experienced, my default strategy is probably be more aggressive against them, right? Mm. Because they are more unaware of certain situations. And usually they're a little bit more timid and they're more passive and they don't want to, you know, risk a lot of money without having a good hand. Yeah. So that's exactly um, my, how I played. <laughs> right. So so it works out because you can play really tight. And then once you know that I'm playing really aggressive and I'm, I might be trying to bluff you a lot, then you're going to be calling my bluffs more often, mm, right? Yeah. Once you start figuring that out. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of ways for even amateur players to, in real time, gain some type of edge over a professional. Yeah, that makes sense. So what age did you start? How long have you been playing? So I didn't pick up poker until my first year of college. Um, I was with a bunch of friends and during the weekends, we'd always go party together, but then somehow on Friday nights, 
they had this secret little boys club get together that I was never invited to. And then mm. I found out they were playing poker and mm. they were like, yeah, Maria, it's kind of a boys thing. We don't really invite any girls, but you know, uh, maybe some other time. And I just crashed their dorm room poker <laughs> game. Um, and I just made them let me play and they didn't even think I'd be interested. Mm. Um, and then the first time I played, I beat all of them. So of wow. course, naturally I was like, oh, I must be amazing at this <laughs> game. But obviously I had no idea what I was doing and I still had a lot to learn. But I think that's what hooked me was just the idea of playing for the first time and winning. Nice. And then from there, did you start playing online or more events? Yeah, it's, it's funny because during college, you know, after school, I would just drive straight to the casino. There was mm. a lot of Native American casinos. I went to college at UC San Diego. So a lot of those places you could be 18 and up to play. Mm -hmm. And so after school, I'd be like, oh, I really want to play poker. And I would go and I would end up being there all night. I would stay until 1 a.m. And then I would sometimes have to like do my homework, you know, write my papers and then go to class without sleeping. Wow. And so that was just something I kept doing over and over just because I loved the game so much. Mm. But I had no idea I could make a living from it. You know, right. it's not something that you don't grow up in along the list of occupations. You know, it's not like it's like it's not doctor, lawyer, poker player. <laughs> it's a uh, it was just something that I stumbled onto. And then once I realized, oh, maybe I can make a living doing this. Um, after I graduated college, I decided to pursue it full time. Wow. And then what was your parents reaction to, hey, guys, I'm going to be a <laughs> poker player? Well, obviously, uh, I, I'm Taiwanese. I come from a very traditional, very conventional, strict Chinese upbringing. So mm -hmm. that was not at all in the cards, so yeah. to speak, for my parents. They they immigrated here from Taiwan and obviously very much pursuing the American dream. And so they wanted us to, you know, have a better life than them. And mm -hmm. one of that is getting a great education and then having a really good job. And so when I had to tell them that I was going to play poker for a living, they were really upset. Right. And at one point they even tried to disown me basically just Whoa. saying, you know, we're not going to help you out. Like we paid for your college. We paid for you to go to school and now you're just going to throw it all away. Mm. Um, and so they didn't want me living at home anymore. They didn't want me to um, rely on them for anything. And I was like, okay, that's fine. This is my decision. And I respect that you guys are upset about it. So, you know, there was a couple of years where there was a lot of tension mm. in our home only because of my choice of mm -hmm. career. And so, you know, I get that it, it wasn't an ideal place for them to see their daughter, you know, being in a casino late night till 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't like that. They didn't feel safe. And I kind of get that. That environment is not something that you probably want your kids to be in all the time. Right. Um, but I just kept pursuing it because I've always been a rebel. And so when mm -hmm. someone tells me I can't do anything or I shouldn't do something, it makes me want to do it even more. Mm. So you were a troublemaker in school. A little bit. I was like a rebel without a cause. Like I had no reason to be getting in trouble, but I just, I think I always wanted to push the boundaries, which mm. is probably why I loved poker so much. Yeah. Yeah. I have a similar story because my mom is Asian and she was all about school. And then when I told her I'm going to be an entrepreneur, that didn't go well. I'm yeah. dropping out mom. I'm going to start my own business. <laughs> right. Because in Chinese culture, they want that steady paycheck and they don't want you to go, you know, color outside the lines or do something outside of the box they want you to just they rather you show up for a nine to five and know every day you're gonna right. get a paycheck even if that's not what makes us happy right yeah they stress the importance of education a lot yeah, yeah. so did you repair that relationship eventually yeah it's funny because i love my parents um but we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things probably culturally generationally there's a gap there but mm. um they can't really say anything about 
what I've done with my poker career because I've had a lot of success. I've never had to rely on them for anything. You know, I never had to go crawling back to my parents and be like, oh my God, I went broke playing poker. I need you guys to, to support me now financially. And so because of that, I think they've accepted. It's a level of acceptance, mm. but it's certainly not encouragement. It's it's not support in the traditional sense. Right. Um, they're not the, oh, do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy parents, right? Mm. They're the, okay, well, we have to accept that this is what you've chosen. Mm -hmm. But if any day you want to quit poker and you want to do something <laughs> else, we're going to support that, you know? Wow, even still? Because it's been some time since you were in college. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's at the point where we just don't even talk about it, right? I mm -hmm. don't really tell them what's going on in my poker career. They don't ask me how much I win, how much I lose. Mm -hmm. um, if I have, you know, a really great tournament score or I make a final table, I'll let them know. Mm. But they don't know any of the in-betweens. You know? wow. It's just something that we don't talk about. That's crazy. Um, so after college, you just started playing. Were you making money right away or did it take years to become profitable? It's, it's a funny thing because I think people always ask me, okay, how did you know you were good enough to go pro? And I'm like, well, poker is different from a lot of things because there's not some type of standardized test that you could take to right. know how well you're going to perform once you're out there playing for a living. Um, and it's not that, you know, there's some type of official ranking system where someone's going to be like, okay, now you have qualified for the pro tour. Mm -hmm. Poker is a game where if you play professionally, it just means that you're able to make a living from it, right? Mm. And there's different barometers for what that is. You know, some people are maybe making minimum wage as an hourly playing poker, right? Mm. And they're okay with that because they just love the game so much. But then there's also players that are incredibly successful that are making millions of dollars. Right. And so I just knew that I was beating the games that I was playing. I just knew that every time I sat down at the table, I was better than the people that I was playing against. Mm. And so I started tracking my results and I was like, okay, well, I need to find a way to, to figure out, you know, what my hourly is, what my win rate is in these games. And so I started making a spreadsheet and every hour that I played, you know, ended up, you know, being where I was like, okay, if I do this over a month's period of time, I can make this much money as an estimate. Mm. And that is enough to keep going. And so that's kind of how I got my start. And I was really lucky that I had a lot of success early on in my career mm -hmm. um, that I never had to look back. Some people end right. up second guessing themselves a lot. Yeah. Um, but I had a big tournament score kind of early and then just went on from there. Nice. Did you ever have a period where you were just getting bad beats after each other and just were losing for months on end? Yeah, poker. Poker is so funny because you can have a significant skill edge, but on any given day you can lose, right? And that's mm. the variance of the game. And that's what you have to weather. Most poker players, it's like if you play 300 days out of the year, you are supposed to win, you know, 200 to 250 sessions. You're mm. not going to win every day. So you have to be able to weather the times when you have losing session after losing session after losing session. And so there was a time when I was on a really bad run, probably was – three months straight of losing sessions. Whoa. I would show up, play, lose. And that's not sustainable, right? <laughs> Unless you have a crazy bankroll. Yeah. Um, and so it was getting to the point where it was really dire and I didn't know if I could continue on mm. if things didn't turn around. And people always have different solutions for when that happens. Like when you're running bad, people are like, okay, well, some people say you should take a break. Some people say you should play through it, right? If you're a professional and you trust in your skill edge, you know you're good enough to beat the games you're playing you need to just keep playing because you're just on the unlucky side of variance, mm. right? Um, and you just need it to catch up. And right. you need, you know, your your EV to, to start being realized again. 
Um, but for me, I'm again, maybe I'm stubborn, you know, maybe mm. I'm just one of those people that uh, I decided to play through it. And pretty much it was at the point where my bankroll was completely decimated. Um, but wow. then things started to turn around. And um, it was the closest that I've ever been to going broke. Whoa, that must have been a scary time. There was a lot of thoughts rolling in my head of like, oh my God, I have to talk to go back to my parents. Uh, I have to tell them they were right. That would have been <laughs> the worst thing I ever had to do. Yeah. And they still to this day have no idea that I almost went broke. You know, wow. I was this close to having to basically go back and tell them they were right and just find a traditional career path. That's crazy. Not a lot of people can profit off poker. What would you say, like how much percent actually make money off playing, you think? I think the problem with poker is, A, people's results can be really inflated, right? When you look at uh, somebody's tournament history and their live tournament earnings, mm -hmm. that doesn't count for how much they've lost. That is mm. gross money. That is right. not net. Um, but when you look at just the cash game grinder who could just be playing down the street in, in the card room here in Vegas, they could be playing $5, $10, no limit hold'em, and they're making maybe, you know, a... 15 20 hourly right mm -hmm. and so um there's different levels if we're talking about you know playing at the highest level of the game mm -hmm. then i think you know you can expect to clear a million in a year pretty easily um if you are an exceptionally skilled player but it all still comes down to volume right. because the variance will even itself out and will write itself the more you play the mm -hmm. sample size needs to be really big for you to realize your skill edge and to realize your your expectation in yeah. the games that you're playing. Yeah, that makes sense. What's your favorite structure of play? Do you like online? Do you like tournaments, cash games? I have honed my strategy specifically for tournaments. So mm. I have to like it because I've spent the most time working on my tournament game. But cash game lifestyle is so much better. Mm. When you sit down at a cash game, you could get up whenever you want. Mm -hmm. You can today decide, I'm gonna go play for two hours and then I wanna spend the rest of the day hanging out with my friends, going to a nice dinner. But in a tournament, once you're there, you're stuck, right? right? Once you're in a tournament, you cannot, you can get up, sure, but you're missing hands and you're missing situations where you could potentially profit off of, you know, having a good hand. Mm -hmm. And so in a tournament, once you're there, you're there and we play down to a winner. And sometimes that takes four, five, six days. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very grueling. And it's one of those things where you don't really have a social life outside of it. If you if you end up playing a tournament series like I, I am here at the World Series, mm -hmm. I'm playing every single day, as I mentioned, from 10 to 1 in the morning. I wake up and I do it all over again. There's no time for anything else other than to sleep, eat, and play poker. And so you really have to be dedicated, and you also have to have that mental and physical stamina to do that. Right. Because in a cash game, you don't have to stay if you don't want to. Yeah. Those, those chips have real cash value, and you can go cash out your winnings immediately. Mm. But in tournaments, those tournament chips don't have value until you end up getting to the point in the tournament where you're in the money, so to right. speak. So. And do you have a game plan or strategy leading into it? Like, cause there's people like Phil Helmuth who are just amazing with tournaments. So I'm curious like where your mindset's at with that. Yeah, I, I feel like Phil is incredible. He is, you know, the winningest player in terms of World Series of Poker bracelets. And, you know, I would say that the difference is old school and new school poker players kind of have a different approach. Mm -hmm. um, I think nowadays when you look at the poker player that are coming up in the game in the last five to 10 years, they have a much more holistic approach to the game. You know, people like Phil, they're naturally very skilled at mm -hmm. poker. But if you 
asked me if Phil has been studying poker theory in the last five to 10 years, <laughs> I would say he probably hasn't. Mm -hmm. And he's pretty open about that. And he's okay with that because he's relying on his, the X factor that he has, just that he, he's naturally skilled at the game. He has a good read on his opponents. Um, a lot of the dynamics that you can't read in a book, he's right. got it figured out. Um, but the newer poker players, they are, you know, running solvers. Uh, you know, they are, you know, studying nonstop. They are doing yoga. They are, you know, in between sessions, they're meditating. You know, they really feel like poker is so physically and mentally, mentally taxing that you have to be super well-rounded with every other part of your lifestyle. It's not just get up and play and mm -hmm. that's it and you're not doing anything else to better your ability to play your best. Right. And if you make a final table, are you studying the other players? Are you watching film on them? Is it pretty intense? Yeah, it's just like other sports in that sense. And I think people don't even realize that is now with the advent of live streaming everything, right? And the whole card cam, which was a huge invention for poker that now, you know, you can see people's cards when, when they look at their hand. Mm -hmm. um, now you can easily study your opponents especially again the professionals lose that edge a little bit because they're the ones always on the live streams they're mm -hmm. the ones whose game is always being broadcast to the world right mm -hmm. so there's a lot of players that don't have a lot of information out there on their game because they're not usually playing on these live streams right so i love it when there's more notable players at the table that i'm going to play at because then i can study them a bit more mm. uh, figure out their tendencies right. watch tape um, but there's there's all of that. You know, today I'm actually playing in day three of a World Series of Poker uh, event, and there's 24 players left. Wow. And half of the field I don't know and I haven't played with. And mm. so that part is, you know, the part that I can't really anticipate for. Mm. Um, but the other half that I do, you know, I'm looking up the results. I'm kind of seeing how much experience they've had playing this game. And all of that information is out there. Nice. Um, I want to talk about staking because that's kind of a controversial thing. Do you stake other players? I have in the past, and, you know, I also buy action. So full-time staking versus buying action is a little different. You know, buying action is just like, I'll take a piece of you in this tournament. I'll take a piece of this other person in that tournament. It's mm -hmm. not a full-time uh, deal. But then there's other deals where, okay, I have, I'm going to put you in all of the tournaments you play for a year. And, you know, then you have different staking agreements in terms of what percentage you're splitting with them, if they're, there's makeup or not makeup is basically, you know, meaning whatever they've lost. Mm -hmm. So let's say if they've spent $100,000 in tournament buy-ins and then they cash for a tournament for $120,000, mm -hmm. they pay me back the $100,000 first and then we split the $20,000, the profit, um, depending on our particular staking deal. So, right. yeah, it's interesting because I, I've done it. A lot of players have and it usually doesn't work out. That's what I heard, yeah. There's some shady things that could happen. For example unless you have a signed agreement, there's been people that didn't pay their backers, right? Because mm. your name's on the tournament ticket. When you go collect that money, that money's going into you, directly to you. And then right. it's up to you. You have to trust that person that they're going to pay out right. because casino records show that, you know, John Smith played this tournament. I'm going to pay John Smith the money. Mm -hmm. They don't have anything to do with the agreement that I have with John Smith, mm. right? So there's been times when people will get scammed out of money that way. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when sometimes people will say they played a tournament that they didn't actually play and you gave them $10,000 to play a tournament. So now people are like asking for receipts and doing accounting more. But before people were so lax about it, um, it opened the door for a lot of people to be shady. Um, and then also there's the element of like when people are staking each other and then they all end up at the same table in a tournament, right. is that going to affect the way they want to play against each other, right? 
it's not in my best interest to knock you out if I have 50% of your action. Yeah, yeah. And if we find ourselves at the same table, maybe, you know, soft play can happen, collusion can happen. There's all of these things that you don't really know um, when there's so much, you know, people, sh there's people sharing a lot of, you know, bankroll and, mm. and there, there might be a lot of um, inner workings that you're not aware of at the table because right. they're not making it known. Um, so generally speaking, I stay away from all of that unless I really trust the person. Yeah. That makes sense. So are you allowed to stay people that are playing the same game as you? Yes. Really? Yeah. And wow. you don't have to disclose it too. People in poker are trying to start making a rule of like, okay, well, if we all are at the same table and I have 30% of three people, then we need to disclose it. But yeah. that's also just trusting that people are going to be open and forthcoming mm. with that information. Yeah. And who knows, right? It's, yeah. it's a just trusting that they're going to be honest. That's interesting because athletes can't bet on their own games. So right. I think poker would be the same. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's also the problem with why poker is maybe not as in the mainstream perceived um, with the same respect that some other traditional sports or even chess is, right? Because it's, it doesn't feel that regulated, right? Mm -hmm. There feels like there's a lot of things that could happen that um, might be a little sketchy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that it's so important for us as a community to try to clean up the image that poker has. Absolutely. Now, I know you're friends with a lot of these guys, and I don't want them to get mad at you. Oh, no. <laughs> but <laughs> who do you it? think the greatest poker player of all time is? Oh, well, this is funny because no matter what I say, every poker player that's on that short list is going to think they're the best anyway. So they're going to be like, oh, Maria, she just she doesn't know what she's talking about. She, it is me, but she just. Um, <laughs> but I would have to say, gosh, um, I feel like. Daniel Negreanu is up there for me, mm -hmm. not just because he is the biggest or one of the biggest names in poker. It's truly because, again, when we go back to that old school poker player, new school poker player, he's the one that's been able to bridge that gap. Mm. He's the player that came up back in the day when nobody really knew what the set strategy was. Nobody knew what game theory optimal in poker was, mm. and they just had to figure it out. So you already had to be particularly insightful to be able to figure it out as you go. But then once everybody started using solvers and once people were studying differently, he also embraced it. He didn't reject it. He wasn't like, he wasn't like, oh no, I already know what I'm doing. I don't need to learn the way that these newer players are learning. He wanted to know how to improve on his game. And he wanted to know how to keep up with the influx of new players that mm -hmm. were having so much success. So he's really been able to merge both styles and he still has success. To me, the most successful poker players of all time are the ones that s stand the test of time because the game is evolving really rapidly right. and players are getting better and better and better. And Daniel has continually put up results over a long period of time. And I don't see him slowing down because at the end of the day, you have to love the game. Mm. And I know Daniel loves the game. Absolutely. I noticed there's not a lot of players that have stuck around for over like 15 years. Poker is a revolving door. It's yeah. like you see people and whether it's because they're not good enough, they can't hack it, or they're losing money in the pits or they have life leaks, right? Mm. There's a whole slew of reasons why you'll see 10 faces and they're the most popular poker players. They're coined the best poker players. And then five years later, they're gone, they're right? Gone, yeah. yeah, it's pretty crazy. One of the skills you have to develop as a poker player is being able to read people, which you've gotten really good at. Have you been able to take that skill outside of poker and just know if, if people are like good people? Yeah, I feel like that was one of my strengths even before I played poker was I thought I always had a really good sense of judging 
people's character, but also a really strong intuition. Mm. Um, so I, I just always felt like there was a little bit of a sixth sense of kind of knowing something was wrong or something was off before mm. something bad happened. And so when I started playing poker, I really tried to hone in on that and try to utilize that in my game. Mm. Um, and so off the table, it's funny because uh, my friends call me um, the cheater whisperer because I've caught a few of my my girlfriends, um, significant others cheating on them. Mm. And I feel like it's like, because when someone sits down in front of me and they're talking to me, I feel like I know when they're lying. Wow. It's, it's like the same as when I'm sitting at a poker table and someone's trying to tell me a story with their hand, right? Someone's trying to bluff me mm. and I'm able to figure out, okay, this story that you're telling doesn't make sense for right. X, Y, and Z because of your bet size or because of your physical demeanor. And so I, I find myself, I feel like it's a bad habit, but I find myself every time I'm like, even just having dinner and conversationally and casually talking to someone, I'm always looking for for that mm. that tell. I'm always looking for like the weakness in their story <laughs> or, you know, poking holes and everything. Yeah. And maybe that's not good. But I think it served me well in business as well. Because, yeah. you know, I've, I've done a lot of business deals where, I've always wanted to meet people in person. I don't ever like closing a deal over the phone mm. because I feel like I get a lot of information by yeah. being face to face. And so that's definitely something that I think I've used a lot off the table. Yeah, I agree. That's why I do these in person and not over Zoom because it's more real. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel like I feel like it's so nice to be able to just yeah, it's the eye contact. It's just certain things that I think people don't feel super comfortable with yeah. if they weren't being completely honest. Right. So. so what 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 else do you do outside of poker? You're into business? Yeah, so poker was something that I just did because I loved it and I didn't really know where it would take me. But poker has opened the door to a lot of other opportunities and a lot of other business opportunities. And I have been able to also create a, a brand for myself within poker where I think back in the day, Poker was just, you know, you played poker, you won money playing poker. There wasn't other avenues where you could use that skill set or mm -hmm. use yourself to promote poker or to promote um, other brands. Right. And so I have, I've, I've built up, you know, my social media following and I've built up kind of a lifestyle following based on, you know, travel and, and poker and all of that. And so that has led to a lot of different crossovers mm -hmm. and and that part's been really interesting because that was not something I planned for. You know, I got right. into poker just because I love the game. And, you know, also being on the amazing race was one of those opportunities mm -hmm. that I don't think I would have gotten if I weren't yeah. playing poker. So. I was just going to ask about that. I used to watch that show. What was that like going on <laughs> the amazing race? Well, did you watch my season or? I actually didn't. Okay, you well, made don't. it far, right? Please don't. Why? You're not because it was not my finest moment. I oh. really don't like anybody knowing me personally <laughs> to watch that because I'm like, oh, that's not the, the, the best light that I could be uh, put in. But no, I mean, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Really? I am not a naturally very athletic person, but uh -huh. I am incredibly competitive, which mm. is probably why I love poker, right? Because mm. I don't have to be very athletic um, to to play poker, but but on that show, it's the most nerve wracking feeling to wake up every morning and to have no idea what you're doing for the day, where you're going. Mm. Um, they prepare you for nothing, right? Wow. You have to expect the unexpected. Um, so it's just that intense anxiety that comes with having a type A personality and wanting control over everything mm. and being like, oh, I need to know what's going on and then not knowing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for all the armchair quarterbacks out there, it's just one of those things where when you sit at home and you're watching people do things on on The Amazing Race, you're like, 
I could do that. That looks easy. And then when you get thrown into the mix, you realize how hard it is. And so it's also nice to put yourself to the test in that way Mm. and to challenge yourself because how often can you really say, oh, I pushed myself to the limits. Right. So was there a lot of athletic involved with that show? Because I thought it was mainly mindset and no, there's a lot of it's it's half physical and half mental. Like some mm. of the challenges are are, you know, brain games and mm. some of the challenges are going to be physical. And there's also some running because in the end, the last team that's on the mat for the day gets eliminated. So oh. sometimes it comes down to a foot race, which I am not a runner. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, it was really difficult for me and it was really intimidating and scary. And it's one of those things where you always want to think that you're good at everything mm-hmm. or that you'll you'll course try your best and it's very humbling to realize how bad you can be at something Mm. in a very competitive environment and especially because it's a show with teams and you don't want to let your teammate down whereas poker you're very insulated poker is just a single person game you never have to rely on anybody solely yourself it's you against every single other person right um so it's a very different mindset that you have to shift into okay okay now i'm on a team i don't want to let my teammate down I have to make my decisions with that in mind and considering that other person. Whereas in poker, mm-hmm. you know, it's all it's all me. Mm. So you wouldn't go on Survivor? Yeah, I've shied away from Survivor because <laughs> I felt like Survivor is a little more physical and I'm really, really mean when I'm hungry. So mm. I'm like, mm, I don't know. It's a bad combination. I don't really want to um, go on a reality show where I can't eat. <laughs> yeah, that food is amazing, man. It'd be tough to eat rice for a month. I know. I mean, I don't even nowadays in Survivor they don't even really get rice. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. They're they're like oh man, they've evolved even more. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, what are you working on next? So after the World Series, I will you know be traveling abroad. I do broadcasting for poker. That's another thing that I kind of found through poker. Mm-hmm. I was actually a communications major in college, and I wanted to study broadcast journalism, mm-hmm. uh, maybe become a news anchor or something. And then so in poker, it just was an opportunity that came up of oh, do you want to do strategic commentary for this poker show? And I had never done it before, uh, but I did have a little bit of my communications background. And I'm always one of those people that I'll try anything once. And Mm -hmm. if I fall flat on my face, then, you know, it's okay. I'm okay with being embarrassed a little bit. Um, And so I did it and I loved it and I enjoy that part. And that's become a big part of my poker career now Mm -hmm. is now I'm spending half of my time at the tables and then a big chunk of the other half doing broadcasting. So nice. um, I'll be doing broadcasting for a couple of other tournaments um, outside of the U.S. And yeah, I mean, this is such a draining time for me that afterwards I just really need to take a little time to decompress. You know, I'll go home back to L.A. Um, and just kind of regroup. And then, you know, poker player's life never really stops, but yeah. it'll be on to the next tour basically after that. That's awesome. I see a lot of potential in live streaming. Twitter's taking it very serious. There's a lot of live streamers getting a lot of money. So that, that's a good path I think you chose. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, poker, there's so much content creation now with every industry. And poker is just one of those things where it's also really interesting and fun. And I love the idea of making poker more accessible to people because it's such a great game, but not a lot of people have found their way into it. And so yeah. all of those things, I think, are bringing more eyeballs. Absolutely. Game. Maria, thanks for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Maria Ho and then on Instagram at Maria underscore Ho. There we go. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I'll see you next time.